Hello, everyone. So, I have truly uh, been thoughtful of my experiences with religion as well as what I have uh, researched sometimes. For example... Whenever I think about pastoring and congregations, I've always been concerned that there are pastoral conflicts of interest. What do I mean when I say that? I mean that We, there are congreg- congregants who live by biblical standards because that's what they agreed to when they first became members. But there are some people in congregations that claim to live by biblical standards, but they usually live by unbiblical standards. And they're the same types of people that will give their tithes and offerings and love offerings to the to the church and the love offerings is basically an informal salary to the pastor. And I've always found that to be troubling because in church, you're not supposed to take everybody's money. I'm talking about the people who claim to live Christian lifestyles, but it's well known that they live unchristian lifestyles. So accepting their money is accepting their lack of Christian living. And accepting and condoning are the same. So I never understood why is it so frightening for many people in the church to not accept what they call sin money. Um, I've always found that to be not what Jesus orchestrated. And then what I've learned about the world of churches I'm seeing a competition between Christians and non-Christians. Like, to me, it's a worldliness competition. 
That's a word they use when seeing that they try to compete with the world on who can be the worldliest. It's sad to say the church is winning. I'm not generalizing. I'm talking about the institutions. Not everybody in church, but there's a lot of people in church who are that way. For example, they want the perks of God's work, but they don't want God's work and they don't want God because they feel like they don't truly need God. And then I've noticed that within that world, I have really learned that um, they try to make the same amount of money as people of the world. Um, And a lot of them are willing to sign each and every kind of contract even though, according to biblical theology, you can't sign every contract because that will require disobedience against Yahweh. Iniquity, if you will. So they don't have the Christian self-discipline to not sign every deal, to not date everyone you want to date, and the Christian self-discipline in particular comes to money is he may have to either take a pay cut or just simply be paid less than people of the world. And that makes them upset because they feel like a warped sense of if I'm Christian, I should have it completely better than people of the world. And usually that's not true in terms of how life is designed. Um, For example, in life, people who do wrong usually make more money than people who do right. And being a Christian is no no exemption, no exception. And I'm not targeting non-believers. I'm not dissing non-believers. I'm just sticking with biblical theology. Like, okay, the Bible talks about Greed, right? So, and most people of the world are not greedy, by the way, but the Bible does talk about greed. So why do you want greed to be your false way of being taken care of? And why do you want to be blessed, but you don't want to bless others? The best way and only way to be blessed is if you bless others. It's like, why are you praying to God to be blessed, but you're not willing to bless other people? So what's the point of praying to God, but you don't believe in what you're praying for, and you're not willing to work fully hard for what you're praying for? So I had to really um, figure out that They're jealous of unbelievers and non-believers. They're jealous of people of the world. They're jealous of the people they call worldly because they feel like, but being Christian, I have to 
remove toxic people from my life, my mate's life, and my kid's life. And there are times where toxic people will be supernaturally be pushed out of my life. And these may be people that are classmates and people I lived with and relatives, family members, and family friends. It's protecting their idolatries. And then I learned that in that kind of world, they feel like they hate being Christian. Um, They hate being Christian because sometimes, a lot of times when they pray, God will tell them no. And a lot of times when they pray, God will answer their prayers in ways they don't like. For example, I'm just stating what they believe. So, they want their loved one to be healed, delivered, and set free. But according to biblical theology, God may choose to have them healed in heaven, set free in heaven, and delivered in heaven. And they're mad because, well, God, I wanted you to heal, set them free, and deliver them on earth. But according to biblical theology, God is like, nope, in my paradise, that's the way I want them healed, delivered, and set free. Sometimes a family will say, Lord, please take our loved one to heaven. They've been suffering too much down here. But God may say, I'm going to relieve this suffering, but I don't want them in my paradise yet because I have more years for them to live. So God will, according to biblical theology, will snap his finger, snap God's fingers, and that person is not facing that ailment anymore. And a part of them is still mad. Well, if they're in heaven, I don't have to think of them ever having this ailment again. But according to biblical theology, God is like, but this is how I wanted them to be relieved of their agony. So, God, according to biblical theology, often answers prayers in ways they don't like and that they unexpect. Um, I felt that um, from them. I'm just explaining to you all of my experiences being in the church world. And a lot of things I've noticed is when it comes to the pastors, a lot of times they're passive aggressive with their members because I can't fully constructively criticize them. I can't fully correct them because if I do, then tithes, offerings, and love offerings won't be as much and the money may not come in at all for myself and the church. So they do a lot of jokey pop culture references and a lot of nervous giggling and nervous laughter, nervous smiling. A lot of times they laugh at the congregation and go right back to showtime at the Apollo, you know, DC improv kind of antics and... 
their congregation thinks, oh, my hypocrisy against the one they call Christ is funny because pastors don't really mean it. Now, some people will get the message either the comedy or seriousness, and some people just don't. Either they actually don't and they're not pretending, they want to understand but don't, and they understand but they don't care. Very few actually take the message to heart. These are the same people that when it comes to church, you know, Bible study, they may actually ask pastors Bible study questions. But the pastor tells us to go to Bible study and they won't even go. And the very few that do will ask questions that some of those questions can actually be found in the Bible in terms of answers. Like the basis of Christianity, they'll ask that. I'm like, all you gotta do is read scripture. Now, complex questions, I get that. You do need a seminarian, theologian kind of assistance, but basic Bible trivia is in the Bible. And they'll ask that, which causes consternation and frustration amongst the members to those select few members who ask those questions, and rightfully so. And a lot of times... The biblical messages seem to be watered down and dumbed down because church has become a babysitting service for adults. It's basically grown folks' daycare center. And what they do is pacify the sheep. They think that the sheep is unintelligent and they try to keep the sheep uninformed, misinformed, and disinformed, and they're comfortable staying spiritual milk. They're not comfortable ever being spiritual meat. So me and my best friend were talking about this, and we agreed that if you're really going to live the church life, the kingdom discipleship life, then... What you may prophetically preach may mean that they may feel so uncomfortable that the spiritual meat replaces spiritual milk. In other words, mature takes the place of the immature. So the immature are gone and the mature are here to stay. I'm talking about mature Christians and mature Christians. And you can't get satiated off milk um, without the meat, according to biblical theology. And um, another thing um, that I notice is I do have doubts about scripture. Um, 
And I'm okay with being honest about those doubts. And I'll tell you why. Because I truly have a heart to understand. Not to bash. Um, I'm not trying to replace Christianity nor obliterate it. What I am saying is, is that what I read in the Bible, it makes me... more mindful of how I really feel. You know, I um, will get to those doubts. And here, here's an example of what I doubt in Scripture. Scripture talks about marital sex in the New Testament. But how come the body of Christ hasn't asked itself or even God? What is waiting till marriage to have sex like for people with disabilities? What is waiting till marriage to have sex like for people with autism, people with Down syndrome, people are labeled blind, labeled mute, labeled deaf, labeled invalid, um, you know, labeled with Asperger's syndrome, labeled with dyspraxia, labeled with speech language impairment, labeled with dyslexia. Um, when marriage is delayed more for people with disabilities than people without disabilities, so they have to abstain more than people with disabilities than people without disabilities. I think that's fucked up. Um, and what? And some don't get married. So they got to be absent the rest of their lives, even though the Bible did not address if you are a person with disability. In the sexual period, they never addressed that, and I've always wanted them to because when you're placed on the spectrum, marriage is either delayed, meaning you have to wait to be married longer than neurotypical people, people without disabilities, or marriage is totally denied whether you want it or not. I'm talking it meaning marriage. So that's another issue I had. Like, they never thought. What would wait till marriage to have sex be like for a Ray Charles, a Stevie Wonder, or a Helen Keller? Or even me? So, that's what I find to be a theological problem. Um, Another one was... I had to come to, I'll give you the second example. When I think about the fact that me being a person that I am and studying the Bible, I came to 
So, another thing about church I've noticed, and I don't say this to bash church, I'm calling the church in and not out. So this is mind control techniques. When you're selling um, a fraudulent product, it is essential to use techniques that manipulate the thought process of your followers. Some people say victims. This is needed to keep them from thinking too critically about what you're peddling. I'm not talking about all churches. I'm talking about churches that have been co-opted by extremists who are violent, greedy, murderous, abusive, victimizers, traumatizers. So we're not talking about true Christians. When I say true Christians, I'm talking about people who the way they apply the Bible harms nobody unnecessarily. The way they apply the Bible is about going after those with dictatorships in their hearts. So we're talking about the difference between well-meaning Christians and Christian nationalism, okay? There, there are distinctions. So I'm talking about Christian nationalism churches, not mature Christian churches. There's a difference. So Christian nationalists have been using these techniques for centuries and continue to invent new ones. Um... So if the traditional Christian beliefs are true, they would be able to point to definitive physical and circumstantial evidence of his truth and wouldn't need to employ anywhere near this degree of mind control. I'm targeting the Christian nationalists, not the mature Christians. So here we go. Mandatory regular attendance. I'm about to get to that, but this is from churchandstate.org. Mind control techniques for churches and cults use. I'm talking about the cult of Christian nationalism. Um, number one. So mandatory regular attendance concerning the Christian nationalism version. Mind control techniques and hypnosis don't last forever even though Christian nationalists try to make sure both last forever. Perpetual manipulation from Christian nationalism requires their version of perpetual renewal. That's why Coca-Cola won't let you turn around without seeing a Coca-Cola billboard. Of course, no Christian nationalism cult could send their followers to basic training every, every single week for a full Christian nationalism re-indoctrination, but they don't have to. 
all they, they meaning Christian nationalists, need is one hour a week for their version of refresher training. Number two, Christian nationalists are obsessed with big, fancy, majestic buildings. A writer says a Catholic wants to tell me the reason Catholic churches are so majestic is because it helped illiterate peasants understand the majesty of the Lord. Now, I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm only bashing Christian nationalists of all denominations. I'm not bashing the mature Christians of all denominations. So even if that were the intention, which I'm sure it may have been true, it may not have been true, that's up in the air. Um, the reality is that Christian nationalism churches, not mature Christian churches, are artistic masterpieces meticulously designed to overwhelm the senses and make the viewer feel euphoric and humble. When I say churches, I said Christian nationalism churches. Just standing in an empty Christian nationalism cathedral can put you in a trance state. T-R-A-N-C-E. Here we go. In the world of Christian nationalism, if you're surrounded by images of people who made bigger sacrifices than you to the in-group and were justly rewarded, then you'll feel pressure to conform with their Christian nationalism ideology without anyone have without anyone who's a Christian nationalist having to say a word to you. So also You're, if you're in the Christian nationalism congregation, instinctively going to transfer your awe and respect for the Christian nationalism building to the Christian nationalism's building owner or Christian nationalism spokesperson. So Christian nationalists love condemning out groups to hell for sport, meaning for fun, not because they truly care about you in this life or even the concept of the afterlife. So number three, Christian nationalism, hierarchical leadership. Every Christian nationalism cult has a Christian nationalism, hierarchical leadership structure, because the point of having a Christian nationalistic cult is to have followers who will revere the Christian nationalism leaders and give them all their Christian nationalism money. Christian nationalistic cult leaders get people to follow them by claiming to be the envoys of God every Christian nationalism church does this. The mature Christian churches do not do any of these things. Many Christian nationalism churches won't allow you to officially join until you undergo a Christian nationalistic ritual that symbolically changes you from a member of the lost, miserable outsiders into a safe, superior member of the in crowd of Christian nationalism. But you'll only be allowed to be a Christian nationalistic follower at the servile end of the Christian nationalistic 
pyramid-shaped authority structure. The only way to become a Christian nationalistic leader is to either start your own Christian nationalism cult or work your way up the Christian nationalism ranks. This stacks the Christian nationalism ranks with with true Christian nationalism believers, not mature Christian believers. I'm talking about the Christian nationalists who are really brainwashed, who will defend the Christian nationalism leader and give their Christian nationalism social authority legitimacy. Number four, Christian nationalism charismatic leaders. The biggest Christian nationalism red flag, you might be involved with a Christian Christian nationalism cult as if the Christian nationalism organization revolves around a professional, charismatic, Christian nationalistic leader. When you go to Christian nationalism church, you'll sit down and listen to a Christian nationalism charismatic marketer give a 45-minute Christian nationalism infomercial. Even if everyone from the Christian nationalism preacher to the Christian nationalism congregation have the best intentions, the end result the, the end result is the same. Poor people are swindled out of their money thanks to Christian nationalists, and the Christian nationalism charismatic leader gets to live like a demigod surrounded by obedient Christian nationalism followers. Five, Christian nationalism trance stimulation, T-R-A-N-C-E. When you enter your ornate Christian, when you enter your ornate Christian nationalism church on Sunday morning, One of the first things that's going to happen is you're going to sing hymns with the Christian nationalism congregation. The majestic music of the Christian nationalism combined with the majestic building of Christian nationalism and the thrill of performing in Christian nationalism and action with unison with other Christian nationalism members of the Christian nationalism in crowd will work you into a Christian nationalism trance state that will make you susceptible to Christian nationalism hypnosis. If you're singing about being willfully obedient as a Christian nationalist, then you're just hypnotizing yourself as a Christian nationalist, and you're hypnotizing the Christian nationalistic people standing around you listening to you sing about the virtue of Christian nationalism willful obedience, Christian nationalism servitude, Christian nationalism sacrifice, and Christian nationalism faith. Even if that's not the intent, that's the Christian nationalism outcome. Even if you don't know it's happening, it's happening thanks to Christian nationalism. Even if everyone within Christian nationalism was forewarned and knew it was happening, it would still work on some of the Christian nationalism participants. Number six, Christian nationalism repetitive drills and Christian nationalism consequences for nonconformity to Christian nationalism. In addition to singing a so-called good cult, there's no good cult, um, but that's what Christian nationalism thinks of itself as a good cult, would require its Christian nationalism victims to perform rote physical drills like marching, dancing, kneeling, and clapping.
all for being dictated by Christian nationalists. The moment you participate in a Christian nationalism drill, you're being obedient Christian nationalism style. You didn't just kneel or march or clap. You followed an order without thinking about it. And the more you do that, the more likely you are to do it again. That's the psychology of Christian nationalism, not mature Christians. Yes, mature Christians kneel, march, and clap, but they don't shun critical thinking. They don't shun research. They don't shun studying the Bible to show themselves approved. They're not mindless robots. Christian nationalists, now they are mindless robots. Eventually, the Christian nationalism charismatic leader won't be asking you to do calisthenics. The Christian nationalists will be asking for money or a favor. Hmm. And I've also learned, what's more interesting than that, though? If you can get a group of Christian nationalism people used to following your orders and acting unison, you can eventually give the whole Christian nationalism group an order and they'll act in unison. That will give you the power to tell a group of Christian nationalistic people to go build a house or go burn a house down. They'll do both and claim that we're burning down the houses of people who are unrepentant. Just a sick reason to hate for no logical reasoning. Number seven. Christian nationalism loves separating the believers of Christian nationalism, the in-crowd, from the non-believers. That may, and they think that mature Christians are actually non-believers. It's common practice for Christian nationalism cults to tell their recruits that the world could be divided into two kinds of people, those who are inside the group and those who are outside the group. The people inside the Christian nationalism group are always saved in quotations and admirable in quotations. The people outside the Christian nationalism group are always lost, unworthy, detestable, and completely pure evil. If you believe this as a Christian nationalist, then you'll base your Christian nationalism authority on your Christian nationalism affiliation with the Christian nationalism group, and you won't want to spend time with people whose clear perception of reality can endanger your faith in the Christian nationalism group. Aren't you supposed to have faith in Jesus if you're a Christian nationalist? You don't. Number eight. The call to Christian nationalism action is to entrench yourself in the Christian nationalism group and base your Christian nationalism life on its Christian nationalism doctrine. Christian Christian nationalism church can be a lot of fun to Christian nationalists. And you can experience a lot of genuine moments of happiness with the people you love according to 
the mind abuse that Christian nationalists subject, subject themselves and each other to. But the Sunday morning agenda of Christian nationalism always centers around the sermon. The point of the Christian nationalism sermon is to deliver a Christian nationalism message. And the Christian nationalism message is that you need to base your Christian nationalism self-worth on your Christian nationalism membership in the Christian nationalism group and demonstrate Christian nationalism obedience to the Christian nationalist's group's ideology. You're told this by Christian nationalism will bring you closer to God. Mostly, it brings you closer to the Christian nationalism group and the Christian nationalism's offering plate. Number nine. The Christian nationalism charismatic leader. Manipulate your emotions. Christian nationalism charismatic leaders will try to mesmerize you with the way they dress and talk. They guilt trip you. They make impossible promises and horrific threats. The Christian nationalists, they get the Christian nationalism crowd worked up into a vulnerable, irrational frenzy right before they, the Christian nationalists, deliver an ultimatum. Number 10. Christian nationalism says you're given an ultimatum. The point of every Christian nationalism cult service is to build up to the moment where the Christian nationalism charismatic leader makes a call to action. The Christian nationalism call for action is to either give money, take your commitment to the Christian nationalism cult to the next level, humiliate yourself, or at least honor those who do within Christian nationalism. This is brazen manipulation and it works. Creepy Christian nationalism cult leaders know that and quaint Christian nationalism pastors know that. Number 11. Christian nationalism says you're encouraged to humiliate yourself and mimic others. If a Christian nationalism cult leader can convince their clock that they... If a Christian nationalism cult leader can convince their flock that they have more spiritual authority than them and they are unworthy in the eyes of God, then the Christian nationalism's cult leader's control over them is almost guaranteed. Then the Christian nationalism fathers will have total trust in their Christian nationalism leader when they tell them that the only path to salvation do whatever the Christian nationalism cult acts acts of them, better yet, tells them. So, number 12. Christian nationalism says your acts for money and your worth is tied to the amount of money you give. Most Christian nationalism church leaders don't expect every member of the congregation to devote their lives to the Christian nationalism church like a hardcore Christian nationalism cult. Many Christian nationalism preachers are happy if they can if they can if they can just get everyone to put money in the collection plate every week. That's as as unethical as selling people fake lottery tickets. If Christian nationalists ask you for money, 
they probably just want your money. If they, the Christian nationalists, demand money from you and threaten you and your family for not paying up, then you can be even more sure they, the Christian nationalists, just want your money. If the Christian nationalism person asking for money is wearing a suit that costs more money than what you're wearing, then don't give that Christian nationalism person any more money. Number 13, uh, Christian nationalism says socializing with us, the in crowd. The most effective way to control the minds of a Christian nationalism group of followers would be to lock them in an isolated compound together where their Christian nationalism charismatic leader could control every aspect of their lives like the military does to its members. In Christian nationalism suburbia, that's just not possible. Um... Because there's some followers you can't totally control. They may not agree with you on everything. So the Christian nationalism trick is to keep your Christian nationalism in crowd together as much as possible and get them to willfully ostracize themselves from the rest of society as much as possible. Um, I'm not saying that if you hang out with your bowling buddies when you're not bowling, then that means you're forming a Christian nationalism cult. But when a Christian nationalism charismatic leader organizes constant Christian nationalism events that keeps their donors together, you can predict the Christian nationalism outcome. Number 14, using Christian nationalism indoctrination techniques in your own time and policing your Christian nationalism peers. The amount of Coca-Cola advertisements you've seen in your life attest how quickly the effects of manipulation can fade and thus how important it is to constantly top up your message and your victim's short-term memory. One way television commercials do this is by getting a jingle stuck in your head. If you walk around all day repeating the advertiser's custom-designed message in your head, then you're doing the advertiser's job of reminding of the message. Christian nationalism churches tell you to read the Bible constantly and to fill your house with biblical-themed merchandise. If they, the Christian nationalists, can get you to eat, sleep, and breathe Christian nationalism church doctrine, then, then you'll become your own Christian nationalistic snake oil salesperson. Then you do the Christian nationalists' charismatic leaders' job of manipulating you for them. Lastly, Christian nationalism recruitment. Christian nationalism cult need a constant stream of new victims in order to finance the Christian nationalists' charismatic leaders' lifestyles or their versions of love styles or lust styles. So if you run into a Christian nationalistic organization that's constantly having Christian nationalism recruitment drives to get people within Christian nationalism to come listen to their infomercial where they their acts to give money at the end don't go there. You know what's going to happen only ends well for the Christian nationalistic charismatic leader, assuming they don't get too drunk on power and do something motherfucking crazy. Uh, people selling furniture don't need to use mind control techniques.
Um, the furniture is there for the viewing. You can sit on a chair, touch a table, etc. But when you're selling a product that you can't see, that doesn't make a sound, that you can't touch, and that makes no rational sense, then you must manipulate the brain to make the sale. Christian nationalism is a mind fuck. So how do I feel about everything I just read to you? This is the best way for me to close out on that and then tell you how I feel about my last few sets of views on religion. So... I have had to um, learn that Christian nationalism corrupts people, perverts people, degrades people, demeans people, lowers people, pulls down people, reduces people, depreciates people, depraves people, adulterates people, debauches people, defiles people, demoralizes people, pollutes pollutes people, taints people, contaminates people, infects people, stains people, spoils people, blights people, blemishes people, undermines people, impairs people, mars people, injures people, harms people, hurts people, damages people, defaces people, disfigures people, deforms people, abuses people, maltreats people, ill-treats people, outrages people, mistreats people, Misuses people, dishonors people, disgraces people, violates people, wastes people, ravages people, cause people to degenerate, rapes people, weakens people, not clean people, not restores people, and not purify people. And... I then look at, within that kind of world too, and this needs to be spoken about, Christian nationalism is cowardly, timid, frightened, Afraid, fearful, backward, cowering, apprehensive, nervous, anxious, dismayed, faint-hearted, panicky, scared, scary, jittery, craven, mean-spirited, weak, chicken-livered, lily-livered, yellow, skulking, sneaking, cringing, trembling, shaking, crouching, running, quaking, afraid of their own shadow, shaking like a leaf, shaking in their boots. It... They're not shy about being shitty. They're not soft on being assholes and ass wipes.
They have a warped sense of being courageous, heroic, and brave. So how do I feel about religion? Well, honestly, When I look at the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith that true mature Christians believe in, I can easily digest what they're saying. So... The Jesus that they're talking about I don't feel attacked, I don't feel condemned, I feel rest and relaxation. The Jesus of history and the Christ of faith that Christian nationalists um, talk about I feel Turbulence, I feel trembling, I feel tortured, I feel tormented, I feel tarnished, I feel tumultuous and I feel like I'm suffering in trying times. 